Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Compact Nation podcast. This is Emily Shields, Executive Director of Iowa Campus Compact. I'm J.R. Jamison, Executive Director of Indiana Campus Compact. And I'm Andrew Seligson, President of Campus Compact. And I just have to say, we're doing this <laughs> with video, which we don't normally. So we normally, this is, you know, a look behind the curtain. We normally record. We can't see each other. We, we've done it without unscathed no. it but this time we have video and it somehow it's very funny. It was, it, that was very funny. I feel like I'm hearing your radio voices and seeing your radio faces. It's super awkward. It's almost like having an audience and I don't know if I can perform, but maybe, maybe I can. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Well, yeah. If JR gets stage fright, we might have to edit that out. Just okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, so we have a pretty exciting um, and different interview today. But before we get to that, just some latest updates in the Compact Nation. Um, one of the biggest things was the recent uh, reveal of this year's Newman Civic Fellows. Um, Andrew, remind me, how putting you on the spot, how many did we have across the country this year? 268 extraordinary students from across the country. That's so exciting. Yeah, here in Iowa, we had nine. That was our highest number ever, and again, just really exciting, interesting students. And we've gotten a lot, a lot of good coverage of that. Um, yeah. Anybody stood out to you? Any potential future podcast guests in the mix, you think? I don't know if I want to you know, <laughs> single out a particular student. They, there are tons of them when you read their bios who yeah. are, would be great people to talk to about the work they're doing. So if you, if people would like to do this, go to compact.org. It's right on the front page. And I challenge you, and you can um, tweet at us, you know, whatever. I challenge you to remain cynical for the rest of the day after you go and read about these students. You, you might get it back the next day. You might recover some of your cynicism uh, if you're really hard-boiled. But I don't think uh, – it's just – it is incredible the degree of engagement, the degree of commitment, the degree of seriousness in terms of – uh, you know, students talking about shaping their own futures, the things they're focusing on in their studies in order to be people who can contribute to the world. I always get really excited when I just focus on what they're actually doing and who they are. Yeah, it's a great group. Um, and then we will, so I know we all are inviting them to different things in our states. Here in Iowa, our Engaged Campus Awards are um, going to be held in May and the Newman Civic Fellows are invited to come to that. And in past years, many have come along with their parents, which is a lot of fun um, to get to see them and see how proud they are of their children and, and proud to see them recognized in this way. And then plans will be on for next November's um, national gathering, right? Yeah, we are uh, hard at work uh, envisioning the next iteration of that. We do that gathering in partnership with the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the United States Senate. They have a new president, Mary Grant, who's a longtime Campus Compact board member, former chancellor at UNC Asheville, and before that at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. So we have kind of a new partner in that work uh, who is already, you know, kind of deeply committed to what Campus Compact is all about. So I think we will have some new and exciting things on the horizon for that gathering. But that is also, that's a highlight of the year when about, you know, 200 yeah. some of these students gather in one place and just really good things happen. I got to get myself back into that. I had a, I had a great time talking to Mary Grant in our recent meeting in DC. I'm a bit of a Kennedy fangirl, so. 
<laughs> I don't miss a chance to talk to someone about the Kennedys. That's really dorky, uh, but um, <laughs> one thing that's yeah. um, it's not of ours, but it uh, it relates to a previous episode we've had and the Kennedys. So I think it'll be allowed. Don Porter, who Jr. Yeah. Uh, interviewed on a previous episode, and who will be our keynote speaker at the conference, she has directed a uh, multi-part series for Netflix on the Bobby Kennedy 1968 presidential campaign. And, you know, for people who, you know, don't remember that campaign or who didn't live in a household where it was discussed daily as I did, uh, you know, I think many people see that as a kind of fundamental turning point in U.S. Yeah. history when Kennedy on the brink of the nomination was assassinated. And as we know, Richard Nixon was elected and history went the way it did. Uh, so anyway, I'm really looking forward to that. I didn't know she was working on that project. And then I just saw it advertised. So uh, for Kennedy junkies, uh, that should be a, a really interesting uh, series of documentaries that is exciting so did she sit down with any current living members of the kennedy family i don't know i just went and read like what was in the press about it um i do know there's a lot of a un you know previously unseen archival footage oh. that will be part of it um i'm not sure about um you know who who spoke to to them for it but I, yeah it seems like it'll be really interesting I'm always tracking my six degrees of separation. So I was just, you know, I, I'm already one degree from Barack Obama because of her uh, or her uh, documentary she did around Rise. So I'm just tracking now. So am I also a degree of separation from the Kennedys? Yeah. Well, uh, JR, you're talking to me right now. And uh, oh, I've had the chance a few times to interact with Vicki Kennedy. So the wife of... Uh, of Senator Ted Kennedy, who is still very involved uh, on the board of the Edward M. Kennedy Institute. And in fact, is uh, I love talking to her about it because she's, um, she's very committed to the mission of that entity and its focus on educating young people to understand and participate in political processes. Um, but that, you know, so you have that length. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've got a few myself that I've oh. finagled over the years working in politics. So you're yeah. there. You're there. I'm writing all this down as we speak. I, I recently, <laughs> you know, I also, uh, I recently ordered breakfast right before Joe Kennedy, Congressman Joe Kennedy at like some, you know, place in Logan Airport as we were both heading off to different places. I don't know if it was as memorable for him as it was for me, but, uh, you know. We will never know. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere out there, he's probably recording a podcast and telling people the reverse of that story. So. Yeah, I also right. saw, um, in a bipartisan fashion, the Republican governor of the state of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, at a rest stop on the, uh, the turnpike uh, recently. So, you know, I, it's here in Massachusetts, we, we connect with all parties and all yeah. sorts of leaders. There you go. Um, all right. So moving into this week's interview, uh, it was, I had a blast doing this interview, um, but it's a little bit different. So kind of the background is that a friend, a friend of a friend put something up on Facebook that a sixth grader in Chicago was looking to interview someone who has a podcast about doing podcasts. And of course I raised my hand. So that led me to doing an interview a couple Saturdays ago with a sixth grader from Burr Elementary in Chicago named Theo, who uh, he wanted to interview me and I asked if in return I could interview him so we could get the very important future higher education student perspective 
into the podcast mix. And so he has more than one podcast at, um, you know, 12 years old, or I actually should know that, but I don't. 11, 12, whatever it is. Uh, one about podcasts and one, which I love, called Conversations, where he just sort of talks to people around his school, which just is great. So I had a really good time talking to him, um, and, and I actually think we got a few uh, insights for thinking about the future of higher education. So let's go to that interview. So um, first question, how and why did you start podcasting? So three years ago, I was driving to a meeting in Minnesota for our organization, and I listened to podcasts the whole drive because I really love to listen to podcasts and while I was listening I just realized that's something our organization should be doing um, and so when I got to the meeting I talked to our national president and some other colleagues to see what they thought and they thought it was a good idea so we started talking about how to do it and we thought it was going to be expensive or really hard but the more we looked into it, the more we figured out um, that it really wasn't, that you don't really need a whole lot of special equipment. We did find a student who could help us to edit because that was the one thing none of us really felt, felt like we would be good at. Uh, but once we, once we figured that out, um, then it was a lot of fun. Then it was just thinking about like, what do we want our format to be and who do we want to interview? And it was just a different way to, talk to people about the work we do. And it seems like a lot of people are listening to podcasts, so. How long have you been doing this podcast? So we've been doing this podcast for two years. Oh. Yeah. You when you started off, was it harder? Um, kind of, because I think figuring out what the format was gonna be uh, was kind of hard. And then um, figuring out how to interview people was, was hard. Because we do, there's three of us that host it. And we spent some time talking to each other, but then we always interview someone. And I used to be a journalist, so I have some experience with that, but I hadn't done it for a long time. And I, I made some mistakes at first. <laughs> like, um, you should never just ask someone to introduce themselves because then they'll just yeah. talk, and talk and talk. So now we, now we always introduce people so that we can skip that part. Yeah. Um, I've learned to really do my homework and get to know the people that I'm interviewing so I can ask good questions. Yeah. And I never give people the questions in advance. Yeah. Because then I, they're, I, yeah. That's, what, that's a mistake that I made with another podcast that I made. I was like, prepare for these questions because I had a lot of questions that I had just had a long list of them. Yeah. And then I would just ask them and it took them longer to answer. Yes. Like when I asked them and I think having their actual reaction to the question was better. Yes. So you've already learned that lesson, which is great yeah. because yeah, <laughs> if you give then people are just too prepared and that, and they talk too long and it's not as fun because you can tell that they like, you know, in one case I had, it was like, I could tell he wrote out his answers and then was kind of reading them and nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a robot just yes. saying what it's programmed to say. Yes. So um, why did you decide to do a podcast like with education? 
So that's the work that we do. My organization is called Iowa Campus Compact, and we work with colleges and universities to make sure that they're um, educating students who can be good citizens and yeah. making positive impacts in communities. So, um, so we wanted to talk about what we do. So it was kind of a natural fit, you know, because it's related to my work. Uh, but that's just kind of what I want to talk about anyway, because it's interesting. Fortunately, I get to do work that I think is interesting. And then um, we just get to interview cool people. Like almost no one has said no to being <laughs> interviewed. I think people like to do it. And so we've gotten to talk to people who do research in this area, people doing really interesting work in this area. So I just think it's fun. Do you interview like college students or do you interview teachers? Sometimes both. So we interview students sometimes who are doing this kind of thing. Sometimes we do interview people who are um, doing research about yeah. this work. Sometimes we interview teachers. Uh, sometimes we interview other people who work in higher education. Sometimes we interview people who don't work in higher education because a lot of what we do is about bringing higher education and community together. So sometimes we interview people who work in the community and that kind of thing too. So it's, a, it's been a pretty wide range, which is also fun. Um, how do you think that your podcast and education podcasts in general are different than other ones? Um, I mean, just the topic really, but um, you know, the topic, the kind of people you're interviewing, that kind of thing. But otherwise I think we try to do things some similar to other podcasts. Um, like we, the three of us talk on the front end and on the back end, and we try to make that just a little more fun and a back and forth. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to have that element of it because I think people just kind of want to listen to people having fun with each other and kind of want to get to know the people who are hosting the podcast. So not everything we talk about is related to education. Um, yeah. So like we do like a pop culture uh, segment at the end where we just kind of talk about stuff we're into like watching and reading and that kind of thing and um, yeah. so that ends up sometimes just being kind of random which is yeah. fun too. Are there any common misconceptions with podcasting? Well I think that it's that it's hard or expensive like I said. Yeah. Um, I think we thought you needed fancy equipment and that kind of yeah. thing when we were going to get started and you really don't like we all bought blue snowball microphones and they're like 50 bucks yeah. and you know you can use audacity for free to edit it you can record it with um things that are free um but i think so that part wasn't as hard as we thought it was going to be but i would say the the prep is maybe harder than you would expect because I think for a podcast to be good, you have to be really prepared for the person you're going to interview. So you have good questions. You have to um, kind of think about what you're going to say for the other parts. I would say for the interviews, like one of my inspirations is Terry Gross, who is an NPR interviewer. She does Fresh Air and she is always really prepared for her interviews. So mm -hmm. I've like read someone's entire book <laughs> in, pre in preparation for interviewing them and that kind of thing. And it's good because it's stuff I need to be reading for my work anyway. But um, I would say that side of things, like being prepared enough to make it interesting for people and like yeah. getting interviews scheduled and stuff like that is harder than you might think it would be. 
So what's your favorite podcast other than your own? Oh my gosh. I have (laughs) a lot of favorite podcasts. I'm kind of an addict. I'm going to look at my um, podcast app right now and just tell you something. This American Life is one of my favorites. And that's been a longtime favorite um, radio show. Um, I like Up First uh, by NPR too. Um, There's one called Two Dope Queens which is uh, comedians and I really like them. Um, Some of the other ones I like are related to true crime and Mm -hmm. I don't feel like you should know about them as a sixth grader. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. They're actually kind of funny, but I like mystery stuff and that kind of thing. So there's one called, I'm listening to serial. Okay. Serial's fantastic. Serial's the best podcast (laughs) I've ever heard. And then um, someone knows something. I is, that. It's it's Canadian, but it's oh. a really a really good journalist, and uh, I like that one a lot. Um, what else? It's been a minute with Sam Sanders on NPR. He's great. The yeah. Moth. Have you listened to The Moth at all? No. That is. A... I, I listen to since I live in Chicago. There's like Curious City where they just go around Chicago. Oh, cool. Yeah, and they just find out some stuff that. I never knew about. So I think I just listen to like the NPR stuff that's either on the air or okay. on um, their website. Yeah. And then I like some political stuff. Um, and then uh, my husband and I listen to some ones about shows we like. Like oh. we watch Game of Thrones and we listen to a Game of Thrones <laughs> podcast. So yeah. it's just fun. anything people talking about stuff you like. I mean, that's pretty much what podcasts are, right? Yeah. So our school's theme this year is hashtag be the change. Do you think that your podcast is being the change? I do. I hope. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I wish we were reaching a larger audience, but I do think that we're making new ideas more accessible to people doing this work. So everybody who, you know, most people who work are super busy and definitely people in higher education are super busy. And so like reading a research article or reading an entire book isn't always feasible. So if we can bring some of what people are doing through a podcast so that you can like learn about um, new research or learn about what's happening in the field while you do laundry or jog or whatever else you also need to be doing in your life, drive, then I think we're helping make change because people are getting new ideas. Do you know who your target audience is? Yeah, our target audience is really people doing um, this work in higher education. So sometimes students, um, but a lot of times I would say teachers or people in staff positions in higher education who are um, working with the community, who are setting up community opportunities, um, college presidents, because we work with college presidents a lot. And so some of them listen to it as well. Um, and then sometimes people with other nonprofit organizations who do work that's related to this, like those are the people that we tend to hear from on social media and that kind of thing. How do you get the word out? Like other than social media and then contacting colleges? Yeah. So a lot of it, I would say is we have a pretty big existing network for our organization. We have over a thousand colleges and universities across the country that are members So we already have good contacts with them and email them a lot and see them at events and meetings and that kind of thing. So 
Um, that's a lot of it. We have at one of our conferences, we did a live recording and in two weeks we are, we're having our national conference in Indianapolis and we're doing a live recording again. So that's been one way when we already have people gathered to kind of introduce them to the podcast as another way to get their information. Um, yeah. So that's been some of what we've tried. What's it? Do you have any questions for me? I sure do. So <laughs> tell me what the genius hour is. So genius hour, um, we pick a project or we pick a topic at the beginning of the school year and we just do a, just a year long project about something that we choose. So I chose podcasts. So um, you have to make like a, a sign or something and then something else. So I've just made like three other podcasts to add on to my project. I have friends that are doing women's rights and sports, um, immigration, wow. anything that really, yeah. That's fantastic. So what are your favorite podcasts? You mentioned the Curious City one. What, like what are other ones? Um, I definitely like Serial. Serial is one of my favorites. Um, wait, wait, don't tell me. I like listening to Oh, that. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, other than that, like, I, the, like, Curious City, they do a new one every single week. Yeah. So I always, I'm hooked on to that, and I just always want to listen to that. I also like my podcast. So what is your <laughs> podcast about? Um, I did, I have two. This is, this one's called Inside the Podcast. I like and it. And I'm interviewing uh, podcasters just about podcasts. And then my other one is called Conversation because I go to Burr. So I'm having conversations with middle schoolers, just asking them oh. random questions. Like if you were a vegetable, what vegetable would you be? That sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Burr is the name of your middle school? Yes. Um, like elementary. Burr. Oh, you're, oh, I, wait, are you in sixth grade? Yeah, but they don't have it split up. Oh, you go, okay. Um, so you're elementary. Eight. Yeah. Oh, all the way to eighth. Okay. Yeah. Burr is it named after Aaron Burr or somebody else? Uh, Jonathan Burr. Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> I, think he, I think he donated money to like, to build the school or something. <laughs> okay. Great. Um, okay, so can I ask you some questions about the work that I do? Sure. Okay. Are you going to go to college? Uh, probably. Why do you think probably? Like, why, well, would, you, why would you go to college? What, what's the reason? Just to get, like, a, a higher education. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I want to get an MBA. So I think college is just – a way to add on to what you already know yep. and then to like add on what to what you already know and then learn something about a profession that you didn't know about before like my friend told me a statistic where um, preschoolers who think that they know what they want to be when they grow up like 92% of preschoolers the jobs that they end up getting don't exist when they're preschoolers I think the job, some of the jobs I've had didn't exist when I was in college. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it changes pretty fast. So it's kind of, it can be kind of hard to imagine what you want to do. Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Well, because I haven't really, it just kind of lets me think about what I want to do. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you can do anything. You can like start your own line of products. So I just have like a crazy mind. During school, I always just think of random projects that I want to do. 
last the, the beginning of the school year, I tried making a movie, but That's I didn't awesome. get enough people <laughs> to do it. And we were under budget. But other than that, like, I always just have new ideas that just pop in my head overnight of, like, apps that I can make, like, toys that are, that I can make, just random stuff. Have you ever heard of being a social entrepreneur? No. So that's, like, the same concept, except that you come up with new ideas that solve problems. Oh. Like... I'll give you an example. So in some parts of the third world, people use kerosene lamps because they don't have any other way for light, but kerosene lamps are really dangerous because they um, get in people's lungs and they cause a lot of fires. So a social entrepreneur, for example, there are a lot of people working on what are other kinds of solar powered lights that those people could use and how, yeah. do, we, how do we get those to them? Yeah. So. I think social entrepreneurship is pretty cool too. Yeah. I think like, are there any other kinds of entrepreneurship? Like you work with colleges. Yep. Like, is there anything else that they do other than social and I guess regular? Yeah. I mean, I think that's how I would define the two. There's, you know, entrepreneurship that's, I guess, more focused on um, making money and entrepreneurship that's a little more focused on solving problems. So I've seen I've seen companies that kind of do both. Exactly. I was yeah. just gonna say it's not they're not exactly two distinct categories either. I think that's merging a lot. Um, so a lot of what we do is think about how to get college students to care about getting involved in their communities and care about mm -hmm. getting involved in democracy. Um, do kids your age talk about issues related to government and community issues, Definitely. things like that. What kind of stuff every, are you what kind yeah, of stuff every, are you guys talking about? Every two weeks we have a debate and we choose the topic. I think um, last week we did on if we should have a military parade. Uh, oh. we've done topics from like should we have zoos to like animal abuse and how we can stop stuff like that. Like we can do really serious topics mm -hmm. because we just have to research we all have to understand what's going on our teacher wants us to understand stuff that's going on now so yep. she puts it in the form of a debate so we just have we do both sides and we just choose on the day of the debate so for the military parade about three-fourths of the class said no because it was way it was about 12 million dollars to do it so that seems like a lot of money Okay. Yeah. Do you think that when you turn 18, you will vote? Yeah. I think that, I think that my voice will be heard. A lot of my friends think that I should run for a political office. Really? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that? I, I might. <laughs> I think that's a great idea too. Yeah. I've done a, I've done a lot of work with campaigns. So when you're ready, you give yeah. me a call. I'll help you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think, so thinking about when you get to college and all this, the stuff you care about, what do you want a classes to be like in college? What do you think would be the best way for you to learn? Um, I think, like, my, my teachers, they, they teach in three ways. They do visual, they do, um, like, I think, 
um, they write it down and then they do like a worksheet. So everybody has a different style. I personally like doing worksheets and then seeing it visually. When the teacher writes it down, like it's hard for me to memorize because I already have so much other things in my head. When I have like sheets and like drawings that I have or videos, then that I can easily organize okay. to just come together. And when I need to go back to something, I can just like open up my folder and then bam, I read over it and then I remember it. Do you like school? Yeah. Seems like you do. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about it? Um, well, in middle school, we get to switch classes now and just like the diversity of what we learn and what we learn. Like last year, we learned like the same things that we've always been learning. But when you get into middle school, it really, your mind really opens up to all the things that are going on in the world. Mm -hmm. That sounds interesting. How would you decide where to go to college? Um, first, I'm going to look for colleges that like aren't super, super expensive. Like I'm not planning to go to like a Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to be super in debt, but then I also want to like find a college that has a bunch of activities that I like to do, like mm -hmm. extracurricular things, and that has a program for getting an MBA. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Good. I think those are my questions. Okay, thanks. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So you said earlier, Andrew, um, that you challenged people to read about the New Civic Fellows and feel cynical. I challenge you to listen to Theo and feel cynical because these kids are having deep, interesting, forward-thinking conversations in sixth grade. And that's what's happening. I think we're all going to be all right. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I was, uh, I enjoyed Theo's uh, vibe a lot, actually. The, I mean, both, it, just all sorts of things. The, the, the insights that he had, the interests that he communicated to us. Uh, yeah, the, just that little peek into what he and his friends are talking about. Um, that was, it was, uh, yeah, it certainly felt good. The fact that he was, interested in learning about real things and about the world and that mm -hmm. he has teachers who are making that happen. I mean, that's the other thing is just public school teachers get dumped on so much. And the fact that just when he described what he's doing in his school, that's what we want kids doing in school. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was also great to hear. I loved that he's considering running for political office someday. <laughs> well, I always love hearing that. So yeah. I, I thought that was great. And that he is an avid podcast listener. So he went through this entire set of podcasts he listens to, right? What he's learned from those podcasts, how he's incorporated those into his podcast. I loved the back and forth between the two of you on the mechanics of podcasts and lessons <laughs> learned, right? So that was really awesome just to, to hear. It reminded me too how great the kids are. I mean, even when I get upset about just what's happening in the world or what direction we may be headed. I feel like anytime I listen to someone under the age of 18, I get really inspired and have hope for the yeah. future. And it reminds me how great the youth are because I, we get caught up in social media so often where people are putting down um, the younger generation, folks under the age of 18, calling them lazy, disengaged. And we know in our work that that's absolutely not true. Right. Uh, but I'm further reminded by that when we talk to someone like Theo that 
these kids are the future and they have it figured out. So they're, they're not just the future. They're the right now. I mean, I well, think that's right. yeah. I've just had so many reminders lately that we have to stop underestimating kids in terms of their ability to understand things, their ability to take action. You know, we look at, at Parkland and what's happening with some of those students and students acting out, you know, um, activating themselves across the country. And then um, I'm reading a book called Raising White Kids by Dr. Jennifer Harvey, a sociology professor here in Iowa. Um, and it's just a lot about, you know, kids are ready to talk about race. They're noticing race. They're, they're interested in those things before you think they're ready. Um, you know, to, to talking to Theo and just, yeah, hearing all the things he's talking about and interested in some of the, he's he's learned, listened to cereal. I was surprised by that. <laughs> That's one of my favorites, right? <laughs> yeah. so I mean, it, you just, yeah, we can't underestimate um, what they're capable of thinking about and contributing. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, speakers at our conference, Dan Hart, uh, will be speaking on the Wednesday morning plenary. Uh, I don't think I've already talked about this on the podcast, but I never remember what I've talked about where. So I apologize in advance if that's true. Uh, he recently just published a book called uh, Renewing Democracy in Young America. And one of the things they argue for in the book, he and his co-author Jim Yunus, is uh, lowering the voting age to 16 for municipal elections um, as a way of kind of giving young people an opportunity to get in earlier and, and participate in a way that really counts. Um, And it's interesting, too, because a lot of what the sort of front end of the book is looking at sort of stereotypes of millennials and whatever. And one of the things they argue is the idea that there are these big generational differences just don't hold up. Like in terms of certain things there may be, but in terms of kind of political views, orientation toward participation, it's they're just not that different. There's certainly no less engaged. And uh, yeah, I think the opportunities are huge. And I do think because of the way. I mean, you know, yeah, communications media have all kinds of weird effects on all kinds of things, but it is true that the level of information available to curious young people is just off the charts. And for those who have been positioned to take advantage of it, they can be extremely well-informed about things that mm-hmm. we were in the dark about. Right. Because uh, it was just so much harder to get information. Yeah, and adults can't control what you what information you access anymore yeah. pretty much so helping for, for worse yeah right so starting earlier and help really helping uh young people process what they think and believe and are taking away from things is really important and i've just been thinking a lot about that so and i think giving them a voice by voting at age 16 makes so much sense i mean they're headed toward college and decisions are being made about their future that in some ways they don't have control over but at age 16 they can and they're well informed and poised to to make those votes so i think that's great i would love to see that everywhere yeah yeah i think one argument is uh, this is how i think about it so I've, you know, my generation has now had many decades to take a shot at electing people and all that stuff. It's not clear they could do a lot worse than we have, right? So turning it over to 16-year-olds does not make me nervous in comparison with what uh, we, we do when we restrict it to people who are older than that. Mm-hmm. I know Emily and yeah. I are cleaning up your generation's mess right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's totally a joke. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I appreciate it. I, th- I hope it's not. Listen, a show. I blame the baby boomers. It's fine. It's fine. I it's used a- to do that, but I'm too old now. It's like <laughs> at some point we were supposed to fix it. So now we, I have to hope somebody else will. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, I wanted to do a bit of a special pop culture corner in honor of um, this interview and ask you guys what you were into when you were in sixth grade. I'm going to cheat, um, and I'm, I'm going to do two things, one of which is an answer to your question, and oh. the other is just a, a diff- Every time, every time. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, absolutely. Why uh, aren't you a politician? Uh, because you're really good at not answering the questions that are put in front of you. It, it is a cultivated skill. Uh, I feel like uh, faculty governance was my proving ground for that ability, which is basically politics in you know, another context. So the first answer I would give is, is an answer in a way, I guess, uh, which is I was really into politics. So, uh, and, but the evidence for it was I was thinking about Theo being interviewed and my first media appearance was when I was, I think, nine years old. Uh, and I used to be at all kinds of public meetings all the time with my parents and political events and whatever. And a reporter for the local radio station uh, WLNA in Peekskill, New York, asked my mother whether he could interview me to get the perspective of uh, like a nine-year-old uh, on like local politics because I was at all these things. So I was interviewed and I think it ran in like two four-minute segments on two consecutive days or something. And they piped it through the PA system in my school when it ran like during Oh my time. gosh. Which was that was, horrifying or great? I'm, I can't tell. It was both. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Horrifying or great, both at the same time. Uh, and, I, you know, it was one of those things. It was a small elementary school. Like, the kids already knew about me. So it wasn't like I was revealed to be a nerd in a way they did not already recognize. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of, uh, yeah. So then my other answer, because I was a nerd about a lot of things, and this is something I did in sixth grade in particular, I remember, is... So I was um, very into baseball in a kind of nerdy way. And I had been given um, a copy of the baseball encyclopedia, which includes the statistics of all players ever to have played major league baseball and uh, their hometowns and all this stuff. And I went, so I grew up in Westchester County in New York. I went through the baseball encyclopedia, which, you know, is a book of like several thousand pages and identified every single player who had ever played major league baseball from Westchester County, which is a county of a million people. So like a fair number of people from that county end up in there. And I like copied out all their names and statistics and had my little compendium of Westchester major league baseball players. I don't know what the reason was that I felt the need to do that, but that was a way that I spent a great deal of time. And I feel like the only reason I understand anything about math is because I spent <laughs> of time pouring through baseball statistics as a kid. Mm. That also yeah. led to your first career, right? Out right. Of college, right. Because you wrote for what, Scholastica or what? Right. You Scholastic wrote- News. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. For fourth through sixth graders. And yes, sports was one of my beats. That's true. This is all true. <laughs> so oh see, it all God. comes together. Yeah. The, the, the complex tapestry of my life, all the threads interact. 
Well, I was a huge nerd as well. However, in a much different way, I was a late bloomer, so I still believed in Santa Claus until I was 11 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and I, I learned that there really wasn't a Santa on Christmas Eve <laughs> in sixth grade. Because oh, no. My brother told me it wasn't real and to sneak down the staircase and to peek into the living room where I found my parents putting out gifts and signing the note and I was crushed. So I was a big nerd too. Oh my gosh. I, don't, I can't but, even call that nerdy. That's just like sweet. So Andrew was like way cooler than I was in sixth grade. I Clearly. Wasn't, I wasn't into politics or being interviewed for major publications. But I was, however, contemplating the existence of Sienna and why my parents liked it. <laughs> so that's what was happening to me in sixth grade. <laughs> that's, uh, wow. You're the youngest, right? I am. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it, it makes so, sort of more sense, I mm -hmm. guess, then. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. Your, your older siblings really held the line on that one. Except for my brother. <laughs> Eventually, but still, he made it a long time. Yeah, he outed Santa, so that was. It. But you know, other than that, I really just watched. I was really into the Wonder Years. I was really into mm. the Simpsons. Skateboarding was pretty awesome at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. I liked to climb trees. I mean, I was totally a little a little boy while other people were doing way cooler things. Yeah, apparently, at, like Theo, right? Like I was never like Theo. So here we are. Yeah. I, Emily, yeah. What do you got? Well, I was a late bloomer too, so I I also feel like I was kind of a young sixth grader, like still playing make make believe with my friends, like pretending we were married to the new kids on the block. <laughs> Which one, Donnie? <laughs> I can't. Jordan. Oh, okay. <laughs> so dork. But I also I also was a pretty big bookworm. And one of my favorites was A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. So I'm pretty excited about the recent movie release, which I haven't made it to yet because uh, I go to about one movie a year. But I will, I will see that one because I loved that book so much, um, among other things. But yeah, I, I wasn't exactly um, popular, you know, in the parlance of sixth grade. <laughs> Uh, yeah you're in good company yeah i still do you guys see my i have a jordan who gets on the black doll in my office oh wow that's how it, did you strategically strong that memory that there just for today or i didn't like surely you put that out because you knew we were gonna be surely that is not always sitting out in your office no it is uh, it is um old coworker gave it to me uh, a while back just knowing because when I in sixth grade my parents wouldn't let me go to concerts so I never went to see the new kids on the block at the time I did however go see them when I was 30 so. it's never too late dreams do come true I you know the listeners can't appreciate this but I can see you on video I like the flower that's just you know right next to him. oh well that's from my <laughs> oh okay i thought oh. maybe it was some kind of shrine or something <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm immediately changing that if it looks like a shrine to jordan from here gets on the block 
I mean, I wouldn't have noticed unless you pointed it out. So maybe it's okay. It's not that serious. Yeah. Hmm. Anymore. <laughs> nice. Uh, somehow that's not so persuasive when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the concert was a weird experience because it was one of those things where I was like, I wonder who's going to be at a New Kids on the Block concert. And the answer was me. Basically me times a thousand. <laughs> Me times thousands. Reliving their teen years <laughs> all together with all the that. same girl. Yes, it was very basic of me. Um, and then it was like, it was fun, but also kind of like fun for a few minutes and then started to get creepy because it's like these guys are like old dads now. It was not great. But mm. the best thing about it was that Lady Gaga was the opening, opening act. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, That's it was weird. like at the she very, very start of her career. Yeah, new on the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was pretty fun. Well, I have no strange obsessions with Santa, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> that has not bled into my adulthood. By I'm age. glad you addressed that. That was kind of a lingering. Sure, it hasn't. I don't know, JR. Have you, wor- have you truly worked this out in therapy? Because I bet it's there somewhere. Oh, wait, this isn't therapy? Sorry, I thought this was a therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were lying down on the couch in your own. We yeah. can dive in if we yeah, want to. It was a misunderstanding. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up because we are all uh, in a few days getting ready to head to Indianapolis for the National Campus Compact Conference. This episode will come out after that conference. So we hope we saw many of you there. Did mm-hmm. I say that right? I don't know. It feels weird to talk in the past think, tense. Yeah, mixed yeah. tenses. It's complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have seen or something. We, hopefully we will have seen many of you there by the time we uh, next record. And because uh, we're recording there. We're doing a live recording. So next up in your feed, look forward to that. And then we are busy plotting the um rest of the season so if you have ideas um look forward to future episodes around uh health partnerships global service learning um anchor and place-based institution models a lot of exciting stuff coming but we're always up for your ideas so um you can email us at podcast.compact.org you can uh contact us on social media use hashtag compact nation pod we are always up for hearing what you think and who you think we should be talking to and what you think we should be talking about. So special thanks to Theo and his parents for um, making that happen and letting him be on our show as well. And have a great day, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Season two of the Compact Nation podcast is produced by Naval Mahdi for the Campus Compact headquarters in Boston, Massachusetts, and its 1,100 colleges and universities around the globe. All rights reserved. Learn more about Campus Compact at compact.org. The hosts of the Compact Nation podcast are Emily J. Shields, J.R. Jameson, and Andrew Seligson. Recommendations for guests, topics, or general questions can be sent to podcast at compact.org or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag CompactNationPod. The Compact Nation podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us.